0: I'm going to be starting a series on Jonah tonight. I'll do a total of four sermons over the next few weeks. I realized at lunch today that I promised you a fish story tonight, but we actually aren't going to get to the fish, so you'll have to come back next time I preach if you want to hear any fish stories. Sorry. Tonight, I'm going to be reading from Jonah. I'll read chapter 1, verses 1 to 16, and then after that, we'll turn over and read from Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm." I know that it is my my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made bows to him. You might want to keep your finger in there because I'm going to be talking about the Jonah One text quite a bit tonight, but let's turn over to Luke 8 verses 22 to 25. Luke 8:22 to 25. One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and they set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the wind and the water, and they obey him. This is the word of the Lord for us this evening. Now, in the first three verses of chapter one of Jonah, the Lord tells Jonah to go and preach in Nineveh. And of course, we know that Jonah gets up and he runs in the opposite direction. He goes down to Joppa. He buys a ticket onto a ship to go the other way. He gets on the boat, and he sails away toward Tarshish. Now, that's verses 1 to 3, and I could preach a whole sermon on just those verses, but for tonight, I'm going to leave that there, and we're going to focus on verses 4 to 16. And Jonah 1, verses 4 to 16, tells us the whole story of the world in a nutshell. That story gives us a way of seeing and a way of understanding this big story that we're still a part of today. So to begin with, in verse 4, the Lord sends a great wind on the sea, and a violent storm comes up. Now when we hear this today, we hear it like a weather report. Like you turn on the news, or you check your phone, and okay, the weather's going to be a lot of wind, followed by a big storm. Now that can be a bit frightening, especially if you're on a boat. But for us, it's just a storm. It's just a natural event. For us as 21st century people, our automatic inclination is to think about storms and seas as natural, material things. When we check out the forecast, we listen to people who talk about you know high and low temperatures, different air pressures, wind speed and direction that come together to give some random weather on some given day. But people in the Old Testament would never, ever think about weather like that. For them, the idea that something would have just a natural cause was Basically inconceivable. For the sailors for Jonah, this storm would not have been seen as a natural event. And it's not even just a personal thing between the Lord and Jonah. For the sailors in that boat, that storm is a cosmic event. It is shaking the whole universe they live in. And in the ancient Near East, every significant thing in the world had a God behind it. The sun, the moon, the stars, the rain, the clouds, the wind, the sea everything had its own God who was in control of that particular area. And if you wanted success in that area, you had to get on the good side of that God. And if that God ever got angry at you, you needed to do everything possible to get back on his or her right side or to find some other God or something to intercede for you so that God wouldn't curse your work. So in verse 4, when this huge wind comes up and the storm is raging and the sea is going crazy, the sailors automatically think we have made some God really mad at us. And if we think about it, they're probably looking in particular at the God of the sea. Now, in Hebrew, the sea and the God of the sea were both called Yom, Y-O-M, Yom, kind of fun to say. Now, the sea, whether it's referring to the God or the body of water is a little bit ambiguous, but the word the sea shows up 11 times in those 16 verses that we read for today. This text wants us to be contrasting the sea and the Lord. Curiously, the Lord as a word also shows up 11 times in these verses for today. So there's this contrast between the sea and the Lord. But of course, the sailors don't know that yet. These people on the ship, they're just scared out of their minds. They are at the mercy of the sea, and it seems to them like Yom, the god of the sea, is going crazy at them for some reason that they can't figure out. And they don't know what to do. So they're all screaming and they're crying out to their gods. They're dialing up everybody in their divine contact list and hoping somebody will pick up and show up to come help them. And it's not just that these sailors are crying out for help. They're making sacrifices and throwing offerings into the sea. The NIV translates the last part of verse 5 as, And they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But that word that the NIV translates as cargo can mean just cargo or things or articles, or it can mean ship's equipment, like sails, oars, that sort of thing. Or that word can mean precious things, offerings, things used in the worship of the gods. And actually, in the NIV also, where it says they're trying to lighten the ship, you can also read that as they were trying to make things lighter for themselves. These are not primarily sailors engaged in some sort of nautical activity trying to save a boat. These are primarily people looking for a religious answer to the storm that they are experiencing and that they can't control. They're trying to make the sea go easy on them. They're throwing sacrifices and they are crying out to the gods. Now in today's world, people don't experience hopelessness and despair and fear in that particular way so often. We don't often have raging seas and small boats moments, and we don't usually think right away of the divinity of the sea or the storm or the wind or something like that. But we still have out-of-control moments. Whether we're sitting in an examination room or we're in a a quiet office hearing that our job has been eliminated, we all have times, everybody in this world has times, when it seems like we're in the middle of a raging sea, when all the resources that we have at our disposal are not doing any good, when we're screaming and crying out for something, anything, to come and help us, and when things still seem to be going crazy. Franz Kafka was a famous 20th century German existential philosopher, which is pretty out there, but his day job was working for an insurance company. So he'd work at an insurance company all day and then go write sort of strange stories at night, which was quite an existence for him. But he got to see a lot of the dark side of the modern state, of bureaucracy, of people being ground down by systems that they couldn't control. In one of his more famous works called The Trial, Franz Kafka tells the story of Joseph K., who starts out, he's just turned 30, he's an incredibly successful banker, and life is going well for him. But then one day, a couple men show up and inform him that he's been charged with a serious crime, that there will be a trial, that he is in deep trouble. But they can't or they won't tell him what the charge is. They can't or they won't give him any advice about how to proceed. They can't or they won't even tell him where to find the court. And for this whole novel, Joseph K. wanders around through strange court proceedings, dealing with a judge who really doesn't care about justice at all, working through lawyers who care about themselves but have no interest in helping him at all, and he wasn't able to find out what his case is about anyway. And all and on and on and on it goes through all these hopeless attempts at resolution. At the end of the story, this Joseph K. ends up being ground out by the machine of bureaucracy, and he ends up dying as this impersonal, vague, out-of-control thing spins through and wrecks his life. We don't have raging sea moments today, but there are still times that we are simply not in control of our lives, when we wonder how we're ever going to get through, when we wonder what we need to do. Verses 4 and 5 of Jonah chapter 1 end with people in that situation. They end with the sailors in the boat, who are now symbolizing all the people in the world, crying out to anybody who can come and save them. Now, of course, if we continue on past that, Jonah is sleeping through all of this, So eventually the sailors figure out that Jonah's down below sleeping, and they go down, and they shake him awake, and they start yelling at him. What is it with you? Can't you tell we're going to die? The ship is going down. Get up. Call on your God. Maybe he'll give us some kind of hope. And then the sailors cast lots, and they figure out Jonah is actually the one to blame for all of this. So they ask him what he's done to cause all of this trouble for them. And then in verse 9, Jonah tells them that he fears And the word behind worship there in the NIV is literally fear. Jonah fears the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The language here makes it clear that Jonah is talking about the Lord, the God of everything. Not just the God of one particular thing, but the God of everything. By the time we get to verse 10, the rest of the people on the boat are scared out of their minds. They are literally afraid with a great fear. They're probably grabbing Jonah at this point and shaking him wildly and saying, what have you done to us? The sailors were scared when they thought they were dealing with the God of the sea. But now it's not just that yom, that God of the sea they have to worry about. It's Yahweh, the God of the sea and the heavens and the dry land and everything. This is a God who is beyond any hope of their control. This is a God to truly fear. And as they come to this realization, the sea keeps getting worse and worse. If, it's rough, if it was rough before, now it is insane. And in fact, one of the words that verse 11 uses to talk about the sea getting rougher and rougher literally has the connotation of someone going crazy, someone just going insane with rage. And the other word there behind rougher and rougher has this sense of an animal on the prowl of this huge predator who's out looking for, his next move, looking for his next kill and probably just about to move in and have you for dinner. This is about as bad as things can get. And so the sailors go back to shaking Jonah. What are we going to do, they ask him. You've gotten us into this, now get us out. And Jonah tells them, well, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Now, you can tell these sailors are decent guys because they don't just pick him up and throw him into the sea. Instead, they try to fix the problem. They try to save this crazy guy who's gotten them into all kinds of trouble. So they dig in with their oars. They go as hard as they can, but the sea is against them, and it is raging, and it is prowling, and they can't make any progress. The universe is coming down around them, and there's nothing they can do to make it work. So in verse 14, the sailors pray to the Lord. In verse 5, they were calling out to the gods. They were screaming to anybody for help. But by verse 14, they're calling specifically and passionately and desperately on Yahweh, on the true Lord, on the true God. And in verse 5, while the sailors were throwing sort of undirected offerings into the sea for any God who happened to come by, well, in verse 15, they're throwing Jonah... Into the sea. Jonah has become their offering. And that offering, the prophet, the one sent by God, that offering is enough to finally calm the sea. And then verse 16 of Jonah 1 tells us that the sailors feared the Lord with a great fear and they made vows and they offered more sacrifices to the Lord. This finally is the right kind of fear in this chapter. Yahweh, the Lord God, has saved these people from the chaos of the sea. And this section ends with the sailors making offerings and calling on the Lord God. This is the story of Jonah in a nutshell. Things are going crazy. The world is out of control. The gods that people make for themselves are helpless and powerless. The sailors cannot control the sea. But then when people turn to the Lord, when the right offering is made, the sea calms and the people worship the lord that's the story of jonah one it's also the story of the whole world people can't make everything work right in our lives and in this world our systems for making life work whether it's to see a divinity behind the sea and the wind and everything or whether it's to figure out all of these different processes and sciences that we have today to make life work Ultimately, those things can't save us. But in the New Testament and in our lives, at this point of desperation, in comes Jesus Christ. In comes the new Jonah. And this new Jonah, our Lord and our Savior, he willingly obeys God's call to go and save the world. Jesus ends up being the perfect offering that goes down into the depths of our lives that goes down into the depths of death to save us. Jesus is the one who calms the storm. And now we're free from all the other gods. We're free from trying to control life storms on our own. In Jesus and his work for us, in that prophet of God, God carries us through all things. And because we are in Christ, because Jesus has died and risen for us, we can praise and serve our Lord and Savior forever.